are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto bros. That's right. It's Andy, aka producer, by the way, or producer BTW on Twitter. And sitting across from me, without me messing up his name, is Daniel Gutierrez. What's up, everybody? At dgutierrez84, if you care to follow me. Welcome to our second episode of the week, which is our in-depth episode, which if you saw the title, it's Brave, but we'll get to, get to that in a second. Um, I want to thank Euclid and Goddess for coming on Block News yesterday. That yep. was a lot of fun. That's, they're fun. They, they are, are interesting people. I'm glad we finally got them on. It was a it was a happy time. But Daniel, I just wanted to, off the top, uh, we're doing a new campaign. Uh, it's called, what's it called, Daniel? Join the Coin Family, everybody. It's just our email list. We're going to start releasing special episodes to people who are, are real fans. And so if anybody wants to sign up, you just go to our website, thecoinboys.com. Click on Join the Coin Family. You can put any first name. I don't care about the name. Just some email that where we can send you our link to go listen to those special episodes and uh, hopefully special offers. And we are automatically put into our contests. It's going to just make things a lot easier for us. Yeah, and, and we're going to kind of reveal some more of that as we get into this year. Uh, some exciting uh, new changes to the show mm-hmm. uh, and announcements and, and contests as well. Uh, and but- if you're joining us from Brave, by the way, Welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for giving us a, a listen. Um, and we truly feel like there's a lot of different projects that are going to be the future. So definitely take a listen to all the uh, to previous episodes and kind of learn with us. If the project does end up failing, the point is something from that project may come to another project in the future. So something from the technology will move on. That's a very good point. And uh, Daniel, uh, they could head to actually our hub, which is thecoinboys.com. It's that easy. There's three buttons. It's SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, whichever one you want to click on or whichever one you feel comfortable with. Or go. our latest episodes are available on thecoinboys.com as well. Yes. Uh, we have blogs available and more blogs to come. Uh, that's available there. And also, like we said earlier, there's a tab that says join the coin family. I'm excited. But one more thing. What? Bit Ninja has got some cool t-shirts for us. Yes. So please. Guys, check out Bit Ninja's yeah, awesome shirts. Not only like the coin boy shirts. I mean, you should check one out maybe, but check out the other stuff. He he supports a lot of cool people in the crypto space. So Yeah. And you can just get to him through our merchandise tab right there at the top. But let's get to the episode, which I'm excited to talk about. We were we had the pleasure of having Jonathan Sampson, which is the senior developer relations specialist, which is a tongue tie. A but, tongue twister. Or twister, but an awesome, awesome guy. And we're excited that we got him on the show. And it's brave is something that Daniel actually got me into. Uh, and Daniel's been using quite a lot. So we actually both have some experience with Brave. Yes. Um, and we were excited to have a representative with Brave to kind of kind of explain open, things. Yeah, because it's, it's different. It's a browser with a cryptocurrency, which is a basic attention token or BAT, as a lot of people are very behind and they like. Because guess what, Daniel? This all works, right? Yeah, you can use it now. In fact... Um, we'll talk about it, but we, our website, thecoinboys.com, is tied to BAT. So if you're using the Brave browser and go to our website and are uh, doing the program of donating to content creators and things like that, we'll get a small piece of whatever percentage uh, we earn from your attention on the internet. And whatever you're giving away, we'll get a small bit of that as well. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I'm going to thank everyone for joining us, whether you're new, old, or just stumbled upon us. Uh, I'm going to throw right to uh, Jonathan Sampson with Brave 
explaining a bit about backstory that kind of leads into what Brave yeah, is. Yeah, we, we, we need to learn where we came from before we can get to where we're going. Here he is. So I'm, I'm in my mid to late 30s. I got started with the web around the time JavaScript was created, like in the early to mid 90s. So JavaScript was around 1994. Um, and if you go back just a few years earlier than that, Mark Andreessen, who was one of the founding developers at Netscape, he worked at the University of Illinois uh, Champaign-Urbana on the Mosaic project. He had created image tags, basically, which was this ability just to show some inline imagery you know, with your text on the page. Because prior to that, these web browsers, these user agents were just showing text. You could click a link and then go to a new tab that had an image, but you couldn't put images with pictures. And so Mark wasn't pleased with that. Uh, and one of the things that he decided to do was to support images from any server. So you didn't have to just load images from your own server. You could load images from you know, uh, some third-party server out on the web. And so that was really fantastic. Uh, I think it was called hot linking at the time because people were worried that if one server distributed images to you know, many different clients, it would heat up the server and melt it or something like that. Um, and then the very next year, there was another founding engineer at Netscape uh, by the name of Lou Montuli. And Lou was tasked by a guy named Vint Cerf, who was the pioneer of the TCP IP protocols. He basically created much of what runs the internet today. And Vint had said, Lou, we need to store a little bit of data on the user's machine so that the user can pick up where they left off whenever they come back to a website. So we, we typically see this in the case of like shopping carts or, you know, Facebook, we could log into a website because back in the early 90s, you couldn't actually log into a website. You couldn't have the website remember what you were doing, not without the website taking the burden of storing all that information on their servers. But, but Vint had suggested to Lou that they figure out some way to do this on the user's machine. So Lou was inspired by a technology called Magic Cookies on Unix systems and Lou created the cookie. And so what the cookie would do is anytime your computer requested something from a server, it would send the cookie out. It would give the server the ability to modify the cookie and it would re-download the cookie and save it on your machine. And so that was awesome. And it, it would work regardless of host. So if you were requesting something, if you went to Facebook, you would send a Facebook cookie. But if Facebook tried to load an image from Gravatar or something like that, then your computer, when it was requesting that image, would send a Gravatar cookie as well. And so this was pretty cool, but no one had realized what this meant. When you put the ability to host images from any server, uh, along with the fact that cookies are sent out with all requests, including images, this now gave third parties the ability to track where you went on the web. And so this is 1993, I believe. Yeah, you're bringing By back 19... memories, man, with all the <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> like... it's, it's tragic stories here. Um, we had it rough on the internet. Oh, I know. And then, uh, well, this is back, you know, everyone was on like a uh, 56K modem or 28.8 or something like that. You're probably getting two to three kilobytes per second. So, you know, the, the additional data, the overhead of cookies and stuff, it could have been pretty significant for some people. But uh, in 1993, you know, we already had this ability to see, you know, this weaponized tracking across the web. If I could get my server to distribute one image to a thousand different websites, well, I can now track people as they move between those thousand websites because they all keep coming back to me. And so someone had realized this. And in the early days, they had started launching uh, these ad networks. And so these ad networks were great ways for people to monetize their websites. And these already these popped up like in 1994, 1995. Uh, JavaScript came out in 1994, I believe, uh, around 
December, I think it was actually named JavaScript, December of 1994, uh, but it was out earlier than that. And this just was you know, gasoline on the fire because JavaScript had the ability to study the, the host uh, environment. It could study the client machine. It could tell your resolution. It knew which fonts you had. It knew your, your color density uh, and depth. And so they could start to do things like fingerprinting individuals by using JavaScript. And so this entire industry for the last 25 years or so has just blown up and it's become uh, unbelievably complicated, but extremely adv advanced and super invasive. And so it's, it's gotten to the point now where more than 600 million devices as of, I think a couple of years ago, were running content and resource blockers uh, or ad blockers uh, as they're, they're usually uh, referred to. Mm -hmm. And so what we kind of realized was, you know, the browsers, and we talked a little bit about uh, what's wrong with other browsers. There's a bit of a uh, conflict of interest with some of the major browsers out there. And so you look at um, Google Chrome, if you think about, well, what, you know, Google Chrome is owned by Google. What are, what are Google's primary interests on the web? What is it at the end of the day that makes them money? And for them, it is search, it is ads, it is by proxy, all of that tracking. Um, and so you started to see the tracking industry become a, a little more mature and developed. I think it was around 2009, um, because early days, if you wanted to you know, buy some ad space on the site, buy some impressions, you would give someone $1,000 or $100 or something and say, give me 100 impressions. And so that website's going to show that image to the next 100 people. But you have no control over whether or not the people are the type of individuals who would fit the demographic of your ad. So if you're advertising, you know, uh, a midnight roller skating party or something, mm -hmm. and they're going to start sending that ad to a bunch of 65 and older people, you're probably not going to get much return on that. Because um, I don't think my grandparents are interested in midnight roller skating parties. I, I could be surprised. I don't know. You will be surprised. Uh, <laughs> I think they're the only ones who are interested. <laughs> hey, who knows? I, I guess I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking back to when my, I was a young child, like, you know, this kind of fun stuff that we did, trampolines and roller skates. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what they did was in 2009, they, they basically saw the birth of this thing called real-time bidding. And what real-time bidding would do is it would give various different entities the ability to store and monitor information about individuals. So as you did searches, as you browse the web, they could infer a lot of information about you, uh, your medical history, uh, religious or political affiliations, this type of stuff. And then what they would do is they would actually, within 100 milliseconds of loading a page, they would auction you off to the highest bidder. And so these individuals were now able to get a much better return on their investment whenever they're advertising to people. And so we've actually, we consider that a, a um, an explicit data breach. And so if you are familiar with Dr. Johnny Ryan, who works with us at Brave, uh, he's been doing a lot of brilliant work in that space, um, uh, primarily in Europe, uh, but he's been just a phenomenal asset in helping people understand the actual impact and the risks involved with real-time bidding. And so that's why Brave feels like now is a, a key time for someone to do something, something brave, something significant, something big mm -hmm. and impactful, because the entire industry has just become overrun with uh, invasive ads and trackers. Uh, in parallel to that, fraud is... Uh, just massive. There were about $20 billion. That's with a B um, wow. in ad fraud last year, uh, digital ad fraud. And uh, wow, wow, wow. there's not always the incentive on the exchanges to combat that ad fraud, because even if there's a lot of ad fraud, the exchanges are still getting paid. It's the advertisers uh, and the end users who are, are kind of um, uh, 
getting you know the, the run over in those scenarios. And so it's it's a pretty wild uh, topography right now, but that's why we feel brave is pretty important. Yeah. I, now I had a quick question. Um, was the tracking created out of necessity for the object, like in terms of um, in order to get something to work properly, or was the tracking created like just out of whatever? Like, did somebody really want to track somebody? No, or, or? not at all. So, if you listen to the way Lou Montuli and Mark Andreessen and, and Brenda Nike, uh, who's our CEO, uh, if you listen to the way this, they describe 92, 93, 94, these were all unintended consequences of them just trying to solve problems and build great tech. And so, Mark Andreessen, when he created the image, he said, Well, I don't want to have to host, host the images on my server. If someone else is already hosting the image, I'd love to load it from their server. And so that set up that uh, the entire scenario. And then Lou Montulli came the next year and said, well, uh, you know, if we're going to persist sessions online, if we're going to have people logging into websites, if we're going to have people, you know, with shopping carts and stuff or websites that uh, remember a little bit of data about an individual, then we need to have this cookie. And the cookie needs to go out with every request and come back with every response. And so these were two distinctly different problems they were trying to solve. But then someone very clever, uh, you know, the very next year, I think it might have been the same year, um, had put two and two together and said, you know what? Like, if I host the images and I get a thousand people or a thousand websites consuming my images, well, then I'm going to have all of their visitors sending cookie information to me and I get to send cookie information back. And so someone realized that this could be monetized. And that's why we saw... I think that one of the first companies was a company called Net Gravity in the mid '90s that popped up that was doing this, and then shortly thereafter, DoubleClick and DoubleClick, uh, which a lot of people may know, um, went on to become Google's ad service. Basically, they oh. were purchased and, and turned into Google Ads. I'm having issues with them right now. <laughs> yeah, DoubleClick for publishers, I think, is what they called it last I saw. But that was uh, several years ago. Was when I was actually actively using it on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's that's where it came from, though. I think it was around 1999 or so. It was purchased for uh, several. Well, it was. I think it was more than a billion dollars. So this is one thing I started doing recently: is um, researching old newspapers and stuff. And so, if you follow my official account, uh, my personal account rather on Twitter, which is at Jonathan Sampson, um, I occasionally post uh, newspaper clippings of you know early ad tech and stuff like that, early reports, and so you can see. Uh, through the progression of time, uh, when this online advertising started happening, the tracking, and then of course you see, you know, DoubleClick eventually sells to Google for a massive amount of money. Um, Net Gravity was also sold for a massive amount of money. People really understood uh, just how lucrative this business is if you are having this degree of, of trackability on these individuals. Wow, I, I have to backtrack just a little bit because I actually. Um, in my, you know, I grew up during that revolution of the internet. Uh, at that time, I was on Netscape when it first came out. Um, now, I, I, the Mark Andreessen thing came up because we, many moons ago, had John McAfee on the show, and he praised Mark Andreessen for creating the way to log in, which you mentioned, and then, which I was blown away about. So you've kind of like brought it all back to me again, and I think it's fascinating that you kind of been come from that background. And just the history of the browser itself is <laughs> insane. It's insane <laughs> and interesting. Like the people that came up with those little nuances that we're used to every day now that just happened, not even, and I'm going to say it wasn't really that long ago. 20 years. I mean, you know, but all things considered, man, it's like, 
I log into websites every day. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember it. I mean, I remember back when I first started using the internet, how I, if I click back, I'm like, oh man, I got to redo this whole thing again, or I have to redo whatever I just was doing on that browser or find the other thing. And I didn't realize that, like today I take it for granted. Like I just hit back and I'm back to where I was. Like as, as if I never made whatever mistake I just clicked on or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, as fat, as, you know, interesting as a guy, John McAfee was, he actually made so many points to how important Netscape was just for the general, uh, revolution of how the internet progressed um so uh i'm always fascinated by it so thanks for uh that insight there that was really cool yeah i mean you guys are, are picking out some of the key scenarios that they were trying to address at that time you know if you you had full page postbacks and so if you filled out a form but you missed maybe one required uh, form field and you hit submit the whole page would refresh and the form would be empty and so they started realizing you know what maybe we can persist that data on the user's device so that we can repopulate the form from a cookie and they don't have to fill out all this stuff again uh, either that or maybe there's some type of validation that you know typically happens on the server but you'd have to fill out the form maybe your birthday is in the wrong format or something you'd hit submit it would have to send all that data to the server the server would then look at the data say oh, i'm sorry the the birthday format is not correct send it all the way back and then maybe the form is completely empty at that point and there's a little message that says please fix your birthday format and so JavaScript was created mm. to address those kinds of scenarios where, you know what, we can actually do the validation on the user's device. Uh, we can persist the form data on the user's device. Uh, and that makes the whole transaction a lot more, uh, uh, you know, reliable, smoother, better uh, for everybody involved. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, have, have any of you seen the, sh the movie Middleman? No. Um, where it kind of plays off of uh, these guys who created a PayPal and there's a scene where they're trying to figure out how do people pay for things. And he's like, just punch it in. It was like figuring out just to punch in your credit card information like blew your mind. Like, so these nuances, man, it, it's cool. And I, I, do you think, just add a, just gonna ask your question before we move on a little bit more. How, how, are we still kind of in an infancy of the internet still, do you think? I think so, you know, we're still looking at, at the very, it's a little harder to tell with the internet, I, I guess, but you know, we are definitely in an infancy with uh, blockchain tech and stuff like that. Um, and so someone had a, it might've been, um, it might've been McAfee, uh, but someone had a, a fantastic tweet where they were comparing the early days of the internet or the early days of the iPhone, for instance, back in 2007 uh, with the blockchain right now. And a lot of people, you know, back in 2007, they, they were kind of skeptical of having pocket computers. It's like, well, how am I going to view a spreadsheet on a little tiny pocket computer? I can't interact with it like I can with my home computer, a massive display and stuff. Um, but they were so focused on what they couldn't do and how it differed from what they had that they missed what it could do. Because now these pocket computers had GPS, geolocation, all this type of stuff. Um, and it, it opened up new avenues, new windows. And so I, I definitely think we're going to see um, some pretty amazing developments in the next five, ten years uh, in and around blockchain. And that's one of the reasons I was excited to you know, jump on the, uh, the Brave project with the attention token and understanding how we can truly revolutionize um, you know, supporting content creators online, for instance, something that has been fairly difficult in the past uh, and proves to, to continue to be difficult today. Uh, but the, the blockchain is going to completely radically uh, reform that entire industry. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into Brave and Bat. Which one came first? Was it the idea for the browser or the idea for the token first? So the that's a, I think 
That's a tough one. Um, Brendan does share some history there. He went to the Ethereum office in London, I believe, in 2015. Um, and he had the idea of a Brave coin or something like that for quite some time, I believe. He had, uh, was looking at, uh, at Bitcoin and, and the blockchain tech uh, quite a while back. Um, Brave was born, I think, around 2015 as well. Um, but it was uh, there was a, a browser called Linkbubble, I think. And so that was the initial purchase. And that became the foundation upon which Brave on Android was uh, erected. And so... I believe the browser was manifested first, but the coin may have preceded it uh, in concept. Okay, in terms of an idea. So, uh, can you explain to to our listeners uh, what BAT is and how is it supposed to work? Yeah, so this is one of the things, and, and these go hand in hand with with Brave itself. With with Brave, what we did is we decided, you know what, there's a lot of third party content that is working its way into. Uh, your sessions, it's tracking you, it's selling your information, it's auctioning you off without your consent and also without benefiting you in, in hardly any way. Um, it just so happens that that is often the case with advertisements. Uh, advertisements by and large are third-party content um, and people are so eager to sell ad space, they sometimes let things through that they shouldn't let through. And so there was, we saw crypto mining was one of the big issues uh, last year where Monero coins, uh, which uh, I think can be mined with the CPU, they were being distributed through online advertisements, even through YouTube ads. And people would, you know, hear their, their fans spin up, their computers would go to, you know, 100% core usage, and uh, they would have no idea what's going on. And this was actually, it gotten so bad in the Android market that there was a particular um, example called Lopi or Low API, uh, which would churn so hard that it would heat up the Android phone to the point that it would deform and the battery would explode. Um, but no one cared because they were making their Moneros. Uh, and so Brave decided, you know what, we need to block all this third-party content because it's, it's harmful, it is invasive, it's a data breach. We need to put the user back in control. That's all well and good, but that also cuts off the legitimate ad revenue that some of these websites were, were collecting. And so we decided, okay, users should have a way to support content creators. It needs to be low friction. It needs to be very easy and intuitive. And so what it did is uh, we integrated support for Bitcoin uh, back in the early days. And so as you browse the web, the browser locally on your device, it wouldn't share this information with anybody. It would monitor which sites you go to, which YouTubers you would watch, um, you know, which blogs and news sites you would visit. And it would uh, track relative to each other how much time you spent on those. So if I went and I watched, um, if I listened to the Coin Boys 10% of my time, uh, then 10% of my monthly donation would be queued up for the Coin Boys. Uh, if I spent you know, 15% watching Ninja on Twitch, well, then 15% of my monthly donation would be queued up for Ninja on Twitch. Yeah. And, and so, by, by the way, the Coin Boys is uh, attached to Brave. So if you want to spend some time there, please go ahead. <laughs> All right, that's nice. Yeah, I love uh, you know finding uh, verified publishers, and so they can anyone can verify too their YouTube, their Twitch account, yeah. website uh, just through publishers.basicattentiontoken.org. Uh, I think it's even publishers.brave.com because that's a little bit shorter, and so we automatically redirect them. Um, and so we decided, you know what, we want to make a way for people to support these content creators. And so we integrated support for uh, Bitcoin um, around, I think it might have been late 2017, maybe early to mid 2017. Uh, Bitcoin was undergoing some really uh, vicious congestion and networking issues. Um, and so you didn't see like the lightning uh, 
network and stuff that, that hadn't really taken off yet. And so we started seeing a lot of people, they would want to buy $5 in Bitcoin for the browser to fund their Brave wallet to, to contribute to content creators. But they would have to pay like $3, $3.50 or something like that in fees just to acquire it. And so uh, Ethereum was doing quite a bit better. It was handling congestion better. And so we decided, you know what, we should probably uh, make an ERC-20 token. Uh, we created the basic attention token to act as that store of value for individuals to support content creators. We held the token sell uh, in mid-2017, raised $35 million in 24 seconds, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, that blew my mind. I was like, well, <laughs> people people really believe in this project. And yeah. so uh, it, it was pretty awesome. And so today, as you browse the web, you know, Brave is uh, giving out token grants. So if you download Brave today from brave.com slash download uh, and you enable Brave Rewards, I th we would give you, I think, 30, 35 uh, bats just uh, for free, basically, uh, a first grant. And we do this monthly. Um, one of the things that we did during the token sale was we allocated, I think it was about 300 million uh, attention tokens at the time into what we call the user growth pool. So these would be uh, tokens that would go towards growing the community, investing in the community, giving them some type of stake in the project and, and so forth. Um, and so we continue to do that. We've had, um, you know, referral systems and stuff. So if you go to brave.com slash refer, you can generate a, a custom referral code. And then for every person that you bring to the Brave browser, you get $5 in that. Uh, and so we started doing a lot of different things like this where we can figure out, you know, where we can truly revolutionize the way people support content creators. And so that eventually leads to the question of, well, what happens when that growth pool goes empty? Um, you know, we obviously don't have an infinite supply of bats to give out. And so that's where Brave Ads kind of comes into the, the story. That's really cool. This whole... Um... I was excited to have you guys on because uh, when I heard uh, what you guys were trying to accomplish, I was like, this is this is great. This is what I what I've been wanting because um, my family comes from advertising. So we know that advertisers are basically what kind of make things run. People need to pay money. Right. To the economy go. So advertisements aren't bad. It's just when you're being tracked, when you're when you're. When you're being manipulated on a level that I that astonishes me every day, I'll speak some words that I've never spoken before, and then and I know for a fact Facebook is listening because in the next day I get something on Facebook or Instagram, and it's just very scary as to how detailed the, uh, how these guys are getting. It's it's me. even off of the web too. I don't know if you saw, but um, Google has access to I think sixty seven percent of credit card transactions. The That's receipts high from your from your uh, your brick and mortar store purchases, and so it is. It's far beyond. And this was done uh, for them to basically determine the efficacy of their online advertisements because they wanted to know if we show a a luggage advertisement to somebody and they don't click the ad, but they go out to you know the uh, Samsonite or something like that. I don't know who sells luggage. Uh, they go down to the store on the, the, the corner and they purchase some luggage. We want to know if, if that was because oh, of our wow. ad. Okay. And so they get the, the credit card transactions to see well, how effectively are, are we able to do this. But it's it's mind-blowing where it's two out of three credit card transactions um, was acquired by Google at one point in the past through partnerships with credit card companies. And so we're, Man, we're seeing so this. Yeah, this is hopping the air gap. This is getting off of the internet and it's now getting out into other domains and that's when it starts to get really kind of creepy really scary and so brave thinks that none of that should ever happen so by default brave is an ad and tracker blocker if you aren't specifically requesting 
that domain to track you, we cut them out of the equation. Um, and we see this, you know, a lot of people understand the importance of this because if we go back again, uh, ad and tracking blocking is on more than 600 million devices and growing each year. Um, in fact, I think it might've been 2015, 2016 when um, mobile device usage uh, kind of eclipsed desktop device uh, usage. And so you're starting to see a lot of people try and seek out mobile uh, solutions of which Brave is one uh, to, to kind of protect them from online tracking, which it's gotten so out of hand. I don't know if you guys have seen these statistics, but uh, you can go to some websites and you'll see dozens of tracking attempts blocked. Um, but I believe it was, oh, I'm, I'd have to get you the, the, the quote afterwards, but uh, um, New York Times maybe that had done some research about a year ago, two years ago, where they found that on mobile data, 50 to 75% of the data you load consists of ads and trackers. So not only are we being monitored, we're being auctioned, we're paying for it. Uh, I think it, you know, $20 a month or something in data for individuals to monitor us and track us on our mobile devices. And so it's, it's quite scary. <laughs> so that's why I think Brave is doing something pretty marvelous here. You know what's funny is when you look at the Brave browser, it tells you how scary it is because uh, the, the line at the top yeah, uh, I'm on Yahoo right now because I was 13 when I got my email, and um, <laughs> uh, 26 things are trying to get get a hold of me right now that you guys have blocked, which is a yeah, high amount, I think it it is, and that's still fairly conservative when you compare it to some other websites. There are some uh, media sites out there um, which have massive you know return on interest or investments with regards to you know, monetizing their traffic, and you'll sometimes see 70 to 100. Uh, items and there are other sites out there too, uh, some social networking sites that if they try and fail to track you once, they would just keep hitting you as hard as they can uh, in subsequent attempts trying to do it. And so you'll see that tracker sometimes go up to 99 and then just freeze because it doesn't, you know, we typically don't track numbers higher than that unless you expand it. So I, I, I was on a site the other day that I think had 1,500 something uh, tracking attempts that were Ooh. blocked. And so it, it's mind-blowing, mind-blowing. I wonder what website that was, buddy. <laughs> um, really quickly, uh, you kind of touched upon how users can benefit, but if you can kind of like clarify that a little bit, how users can benefit from using Brave and Bat. And also, can you clarify how businesses are also able to, to benefit? Yeah, absolutely. So with users, users and businesses, actually, for this first part, um, just about anyone can verify their domain or their domains or their channels, their streams. Uh, we're currently, we're going to have support coming in the very near future for things like uh, Twitter and Reddit so that you can actually monetize your tweets or monetize your Reddit posts um, because content creation is not just something that happens on our own domains. It sometimes happens on a broader you know, content platform. And so you'll see there's a couple different models where you have, uh, <clears throat> sorry, no you'll have uh you know, a, a property that I own, you can kind of find an analogy in home ownership or apartment buildings where I own a home. I live here. This is the, I'm the one family that, that lives here. Uh, but there are other places like apartment buildings where you have multiple people that come into the same building. They live there together. And so, you know, we kind of see the same analogy playing out on websites. So people have their blogs where they are the primary benefactor of that. Uh, they go to places like, um, YouTube, where the owner of the property is not responsible for the content creation. The content creators that congregate there are the ones that are creating all the value. 
And so what we did is we set up a way for any user to go and verify their YouTube channel and their Twitch streams and their websites and start to generate revenue from those properties. Many of these individuals were never able to monetize those properties to begin with because maybe they didn't have large enough user base on YouTube or there was some type of um, esoteric rule that they broke. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll volunteer some information about, uh, I'd say 2007. So 12 years ago or so, I had Google AdSense on my website and somebody uh, who wanted to support some of the work that I did, they encouraged some people in a forum to go click on my ads. And I've been perpetually banned from Google AdSense as a result. Um, and so what this is, uh, it offers a lot of people who have just not been able to monetize their content, a means by which they can do so. Uh, we also created the, the referral system, brave.com slash refer that I mentioned before. Uh, and so one of the things that we, um, we really wanted to focus on was how do we actually continue to benefit the system long after the, uh, the expiration of the user growth pool? Because again, we only set about uh, set apart about 300 million bat. We're going to eventually run out of that. Uh, it's you know a fact of math. And so what we realized is that advertisements are not inherently bad. As you had said before, advertisements are pretty fantastic. They, they gave us the web um, that we have today. They gave so many of us a voice and a platform. And so what we realized is that ads are not bad, but ads have been co-opted by bad actors. And so we could actually do ads quite a bit better. The real-time bidding strategies out there, uh, they function by radiating personal information about you often to this sea of faceless third parties. And they track you, they store your information, they sell it, they monetize you. Um, and so what we realized is, you know what, ad tracking could be done locally on the user's device and more effectively. So... For one, we think that all users should be in control. No user should be tracked unless they opt into the system. So with Brave and Brave ads, we expect users who wish to participate to opt into the system. If they don't, they enjoy an ad-free web you know, experience, uh, which is the baseline experience in Brave. But if they opt into it, they can now monetize their attention. Uh, and so what we do is we actually have local uh, machine learning on the individual's device, which operates off of their browsing history uh, can monitor their, their web usage, and it does all of this on their computer, so it doesn't share that information with anybody. And this completely uh, uh, blows away what real-time bidding can offer, because real-time bidding is trying to achieve something that's effective, but by means that are, are just gross and horrible, sharing your personal information, auctioning you off to the highest bidder. If you have local machine learning on the device, the device can actually do this far more effectively and give the individual, the user, the owner, the ability to say, you know what, I really only want to see like six ads a day, uh, make sure they're good and they're of interest to me based upon what you know about me. And so the that local machine learning model in the browser is able to study the user, uh, work effectively with them, give them ads that they would actually be interested in. And if the individuals engage the ad, then they get paid 70% of the revenue. And so we kind of realized that uh, this is the lion's share idea is that Brave should not ever get the lion's share because it's your attention that is being vied for it. Your attention is a limited commodity. And so you're the one who's willingly selling your attention basically, uh, or uh, you know, transferring it for some type of value. And so in those cases, the user gets 70% of the revenue, Brave gets 30%. Um, here before too long, we're gonna have a second model, which actually 
would allow Brave to insert ads into cooperating domains. And so if you're a publisher and you say, you know what, I would actually like to do Brave ads on my website, um, you'll actually, as the publisher, you'll get 70% of the revenue. The user will get 15% and Brave will also get 15%. And so all of these scenarios consist of the ad slot owner getting 70% which is far more than they've seen in many uh, other models or any other option anywhere else. And also the user always getting some of the revenue as well because it's their attention after all. And so we think that Brave Ads is going to uh, do quite well in sustaining the, the web in the future. And obviously, you know, BAT is going to, we're gonna have an SDK, a software development kit out uh, hopefully later this year. So other developers can integrate support for the attention token into their applications. You know, we've, we've heard interest from uh, podcast app developers, game developers, and all sorts of individuals who actually understand that there's an attention market beyond the browser itself. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that, that, um, if I have the Coinboys, which I do, registered with, with you guys, um, do, uh, will I automatically be put into that opt-in ad revenue or, or do I have to just click a couple things or how difficult will it be to, to sign that one up? Well, so the domain, uh, as a publisher, there's not yet that option. We, yes. we currently only have one ad model that's up and running right now. And that's the user model, which uh, shows an ad prompt on their desktop. So it doesn't even happen inside the browser. There's a, a small notification that they'll see on their desktop. If they click on that, it opens up a private tab and that's where they make 70% of the revenue. As a publisher, you know, there's still some work to be done there, exactly what that system's going to look like. It's going to require explicit opt-in from the publisher. So I, I don't think this is something that would be sprung on anybody. Uh, but you would probably uh, go through the, the publisher's dashboard on basicattentiontoken.org and then through their opt-ins in some way, shape, or form. But it's a bit too early to say for sure exactly what that process will look like. Okay. And, uh, and eventually you guys are going to get Brave Rewards up and running as well? Well, Brave Rewards is up and running right oh, now, okay. uh, and so it's it's not presently paying out. We just recently launched it in the browser for individuals who want to see what the apparatus looks like, how it works, how it feels. Uh, but actually, the the payouts will be coming very very soon in the future. So we should have an announcement about that before too long. Cool, cool. And I had a, a quick question, which kind of which you might have an answer for. So you're dealing with both uh, cryptocurrency and kind of a browser, which is a product, and, and dealing with uh, keeping information safe and a cryptocurrency safe. Um, I, how is there a kind of protocol to keep that secure, or what do you? How do you guys handle stuff like that? Any kind of hacks or anything negative that might hit you guys? So a lot of people. This is one of the questions they have as well. It's a fantastic question. Uh, a lot of people, when they start to read about the blockchain, they start to understand that, you know, things like the immutable state, how it, it can't be changed, the history of it can't be changed, uh, or how it's, it's open and, and visible to everybody. And so they start to wonder, like, are you writing my information to the blockchain? Like, you know, if I donate to a website, are you broadcasting to the world who I'm donating to, uh, which could be um, pretty dangerous in yes. certain parts of the world? Yeah, some people would uh, rather confess to murder. Right. And so, you know, even a lot of people like they maybe they want to support uh, some nonprofit that uh, their family doesn't agree with or something like that. And they just don't want to deal with uh, the societal backlash or, or something. Um, and so one of the things that we did is we integrated support for the Anonize protocol in the contribution uh, settlement process. And so what happens is as your browser queues up donations and tips, because you can do one off tips for websites as well. 
uh, those that will stay inside your browser. And then the browser will download a list of verified publisher domains, I think once a day. And so we'll download this uh, small database to your, your desktop uh, or to your, your browser rather. And the browser will say, okay, are these properties that they wish to support verified or not? If they are verified, they go into this omnibus settlement wallet. So everyone donates into this large bank that has um, everyone's funds. It's, and we all get uh, what are called votes. So I can say, you know what, I'm supporting these sites. Uh, so cast three votes for this site. Here's my bat. Um, and then, you know, whatever happens after that, the user is not really in the loop anymore. And so if the individual is contributing to a property that is not verified, well, then that property has 90 days to verify. And if they still haven't verified after that, then whatever bat you had allocated for them will be released back to your wallet. And you can give it to somebody else. Once we have all of that bat collected in the settlement wallet from all these individual users, the settlement wallet doesn't keep a record of who contributed what to whom. All it does is it says, okay, we have X number of votes for this domain plus uh, this bat. So we're going to send, you know, 10 bat to this domain because we had X number of votes. We don't know how many people cast those votes. Um, we don't know how many individuals cast, you know, X number of votes each. All we know is there's 20 votes for, you know, coin boys and we have 20 bat in here. We're going to give 20 bat to coin boys. Um, but that entire process, uh, it aggregates all of the user data together so that no one can reverse engineer who is supporting whom. And that's one of the things that we thought was really important because you know privacy and anonymity, anonymity on the web are, are key factors, I think, to a healthy and sustainable web in the future. And this is something that you want to be careful with when you're dealing with an immutable blockchain. You don't want to be publishing private information or uh, sensitive information to some type of public uh, immutable ledger. And so the, the anonymized protocol is something that helps us quite a bit in protecting user information in those scenarios. That's awesome, man. And um, I, it sounds like, first of all, uh, kudos to you guys for being, you know, having a working utility going on. And that's really important in this day and age. And I mean, yeah, it's nice to see something working as yes. opposed to <laughs> dream, hopes and dreams. Yeah. Like the, we, well, the, a year ago we started and we always talked about, you know, there's a difference between hopes and dreams and actually working utilities. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right. go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, John. No, I was going to say, that's one of the things that I love about it too, is uh, you see, into the whole crypto space, it, it kind of exploded out of nowhere, like this Cambrian explosion. And uh, you started to see a lot of, um, you know, speculative traders and stuff like that. People were getting involved in this. So looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum and they saw these prices going nuts and stuff. Uh, you, you heard rumors of people, you know, selling their homes or taking out a, mortgage, a second mortgage on their home. And a family and, went camping, they sold their house and said they were just right. And, and so it's <laughs> you remember that. And story? a lot of this was just uh, so much of it was um, on ideas. You know, someone would put out a, a, a white paper and it would get people excited. And then either the project would never come to fruition or it was never going to come to fruition to begin with. Uh, many of the white papers themselves were plagiarized and stuff. And so that's one of the things I loved about our team is our team said, you know what, if we're going to build a, a utility token, we want to have the utility there to begin with. We don't want to get people excited about a project that is never going to come to fruition, you know, vaporware, if you're familiar with that term. And so we had Brave out and working. It was working as a proof of concept with Bitcoin to begin with. Uh, network and congestion issues uh, persuaded us that we needed to move over to the Ethereum blockchain. Um, 
but we were there, we had the project out. And so that's one thing I really love is that, you know, we didn't uh, oversell uh, ourselves here. We actually did the work in the right order and uh, made, you know, promises that could be kept to people. And so I, I really love that about our team. That's awesome. And uh, I think, you know, I've learned a lot more about the browser. Actually, Daniel, uh, I give him the assist for for kind of introducing me to Brave, and, and I use it now. Um, I really like what you guys are doing. We're really glad to have you guys and your perspective. Uh, just before, last question before I have you go, uh, what's what's everything looking like going forward for you guys? And that could be short-term, future, long-term. Uh, what's the future for Brave? It's uh, super exciting. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm a bit biased, but I'm extremely uh, encouraged and motivated by what we're working on. Uh, obviously, you know, we're going to continue to put out some more information. Uh, we, we have some really cool features, too, like coming down the pipeline. There's a uh, We've hired uh, quite a few researchers, just super smart people that are working on novel ideas to solving other problems on the web. Um, and so you'll, you'll see that, for instance, ad blocking, ad and tracker blocking, uh, has been a, a healthy and vibrant uh, movement for a long time. In fact, there was a Netscape Navigator plugin called Fast Forward Web, I think, or Internet Fast Forward, something like that. And it came out the same year as JavaScript. And so it was from the very beginning, there were people trying to, Internet Fast Forward, I think it was called, they were trying to get away from what was already a budding uh, tracking environment and, and uh, online advertisement environment. And so what you saw is like the, the growth of these ad and tracker lists. And then, of course, we saw recently Mike, uh, Google was talking about this manifest version three. And this was going to uh, potentially negatively impact uh, just about every ad and content management uh, extension on the market today. We saw uBlock Origin. Uh, Raymond Hill was pointing out this would effectively be the end of uBlock Origin, that it would also uh, negatively impact AdBlock Plus. Uh, just because of the way they were going to be changed in the extension uh, architecture. And so one of the main reasons uh, there was, I guess the, the point I'm trying to get to is they were going to limit people to about 33,000 filtering, uh, you know, exceptions, basically filtering rules. And that's not even enough to accommodate uh, one of the primary filtering lists called easy privacy or easy list, which I think has well more than 75,000 rules on it. Um, and so we've had some research come out that is talking about the, the impact of these ad and tracker blocking lists that always grow, but they're never really pruned. And so, you know, what, what kind of work can be done there to make sure that ad and tracker blocking is a more efficient process in the future for everybody, even beyond the, the Brave ecosystem. Um, we also have uh, uh, SpeedReader is coming as well. And SpeedReader is, is going to look at ways in which content can be uh, reshaped to be more consumable on the web. So we've seen extensions like Readability and uh, I think Buffer App may have done this as well, where what they do is they distill the page down into just the primary content and then they show you that sometimes in like a, a reader mode or something. But the, the problem there is you've already loaded the entire resource. You've loaded all of these images, all these videos, GIFs and everything, and then you're just hiding all of that. So you're still paying the data cost, uh, but you're just not you know, visually having to deal with that. And so what we've done is we've been working on a project called SpeedReader, which is able to, from the very first network request, identify which content should be loaded. And then it just doesn't load all of that extraneous stuff, all the peripheral stuff that isn't needed. It just loads the text that you want. And so that would result in uh, massive, massive data savings uh, on mobile devices in particular, which is 
you know, it's not as big a deal to us here in the United States. We often have unlimited uh, plans. But if you look at developing countries and stuff, obviously, you know, if you can save a mag, two mags, a gig, anything like that, you're you're making a massive amount of, of savings for individuals. And so we've got a lot of really cool research coming down the pipeline. Um, obviously, Brave Ads is just about to break through. It's already out and desktop builds. Um, we just had sync start to land across uh Android and desktop, so now you can start to sync your content using uh, a, a private client-side key, meaning Brave has no access to it, which is another thing I, I love that we build uh, privacy and security in um, as an axiom in all that we do. It's a presupposition to everything that the user should be sovereign over their own data. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I would definitely uh, watch the the Brave uh, account on Twitter and the, the attention token account on Twitter. And feel free to ping me anytime if you have questions or anything. I'm Brave Samson on Twitter. And and what were the uh, handles for for Brave? Again, it's just at Brave, and there's at Attention Token. Um, the Attention Token one you really need to watch out for because, like anything in the blockchain space, there's a lot of uh, bad actors. There's a lot of people who try to impersonate that account. So always it. check it. Make sure it's uh, you know the official account. And, you know, always check any type of uh, you know, alerts or press releases against official properties like Brave.com or TheBasicAttentionToken.org. I always say on this podcast, we're not just cryptocurrency, we're technology, Daniel. And Jonathan Sampson uh, gave us a backstory on kind of the history of the browser and each little nuance that kind of was developed and then the problems those nuances kind of caused yeah, it kept on piling up so we got a lot more in depth about kind of like the start of the internet history and i i remember i called back to you know the episode with uh mcafee when we had him on and he talked about the importance of netflix and how it kind of pushed the history and and that he mentioned logging in like how you log into something this guy came up with right and everyone every day does this the same and i thought this was great not only that jonathan kind of brought us backwards to make i think people understand where brave is kind of at yeah and that's causing answers to problems with using browsers on the internet yeah no here, the the thing is when I, when when i learned about what they were trying to do i said this is great because obviously blockchain brings some more some more privacy, some more security. And I like the fact that, you know, I get control over my own information, over what I choose to see, what what I choose to release. Um, I'll gladly take some of that revenue back. And I remember back in the day, they used to do something similar to that where they would show you ads, like banner ads on the top, and you would get like two cents an ad or something like that. And that's how we were making money back in high school. Basically. Oh my God. But this was re- kind of reminded me of that, but even a million times better. Um, by the way, he did say that there's a referral link, and we will have the referral link with us as well. And it'll be in the description, in the tweet, wherever we can we can fit it. Uh, if you do choose to go with Brave, you click on that. We do get some some back as a reward, so we thank you for for that. If you guys do use our link, um, yeah, thank you. Once again, you can find us at thecoinboys.com. We'll have blogs, we'll have contests. Join the Coin family. Say hello. Uh, write us thecoinboys at thecoinboys.com. Um, and or tweet at us. We're yeah, really whatever you want to do. We're all over the internet. Um, you could even Google the Coin Boys, and I'm sure we'll pop up at the top. Yes, right, Daniel. Yes, worked hard uh, for that. For some reason, it took forever for that. Yeah, it it goes to show you that we finally have a website, a hub that we try to make it easy for everybody. So it's very easy. Thecoinboys.com. And again, I'm Andy. I'm Daniel. And we'll see you 
next week.